0: What's the most taboo subject in
1: all of sports? I stand before you and tell you that I have betrayed your trust. You essentially strengthen your body and your performance with a cocktail of steroids and growth hormones. Yes. I've never taken
2: performance enhancing drugs. How clear is that? There's, there are millions of kids that have believed in me and what I
3: stand for, and basically they put a dark cloud over everything that I believe in. Like
2: I said earlier, I'm not going to go into the past and talk about my...
3: Fast. You know, I compromised
1: my morality. America's public enemy number one in the United States is drug abuse. I think it's time we took a hard look at
0: this subject. I've talked to some professionals, pundits, and gurus on the subject just to figure out exactly what is going on here. And I know what you're probably thinking, isn't this just an MMA channel?
3: I like to think of myself as.
0: I'm Jason from MMA On Point, and this is the History of America and Steroids.
1: It is
3: only through enlightenment that this scourge can be wiped out.
0: So beginning on a journey like this, it's important to understand the whole context. Most people, when they think about performance-enhancing drugs, it's essentially down to one thing for them. steroids 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 Steroids. anabolic steroids obviously people who watch sports often and pay attention to this subject matter know there's a lot more to it than that But the point in bringing that up is, I think sometimes people think the idea of performance enhancing drugs or PEDs fundamentally means it's a recent phenomenon that was invented inside of a lab in the last 100 years or something like that. Yeah, not exactly. In fact, as long as sports have existed and there's been any sort of record to go along with it, there have always been some form of PEDs. In ancient Greece, people would do all kinds of crazy things, eat animal hearts, bull testicles, Yes, I said bull testicles, they believed that it would give athletes more vitality. Mind you, this was well before anyone knew what testosterone was, but clearly they had some sort of idea. And fun fact, that's also a bit more of a recent belief than you think as well. Testicles contain testosterone and ancient athletes would also try more practical things like herbal remedies in other cultures some believed hallucinogens may help athletic performance like the vikings who may or may not have ingested mushrooms for battle the validity of this actually happening is a debated topic but it still stands that if you can think of any sort of hypothesis for getting an edge People have literally been trying it for millennia. But for what we usually think about, it's the modern era. And when the 19th century rolled around, amphetamines were used. And this quickly came into use in sports after Germany began mass producing and giving out a very popular form of amphetamines, speed, to their soldiers. You know, I was watching a video of uh, Hitler tweaking. Mm -hmm. Hitler's on speed, you know, he did a lot of speed. Yeah. He's at the 1936 Olympics and he's sitting in the audience like this. Yeah, it yeah, yeah. was like an actual like, footage of it. Yeah, okay. actual
1: footage. <laughs> Pervitin was invented by a Berlin company called Temla in 1937. Um, it was a totally new medicine on the market. Uh, the Wehrmacht found out that Pervitin reduces fear, uh, it reduces your need to sleep and it makes you uh, more aggressive. So these three reasons seem perfect for the German army in 1940.
0: The first Olympic violation was not for anything else I've mentioned so far, but was in fact beer in 1968.
1: Uh, the best reason in the world to drink
0: beer. I know that sounds crazy, but it likely would not have been nearly as big a deal if alcohol wasn't at the heart of some of the most insane Olympic blunders to that point. For instance, a British-born American marathoner, Tom Hicks, took two milligrams of a type of horrible poison called strychnine, which in smaller doses was thought to have a performance-enhancing effect. The problem is, when you take it, it literally causes convulsions. So this Tom Hicks guy managed to mix that with liquor, namely brandy, and... The guy actually won. Immediately following this though, he collapsed. He almost died and he was hallucinating as he was helped across the finish line, just absolutely insane stuff. So with incidents like this on the Olympic record, you can see why beer or really any type of alcohol would have been a bit sensitive of an issue by 1968 when the first PED violation was officially levied against the Swedish pent-athlete Hans Gunnar Lienvold. But perhaps the most significant moment that led to Olympic drug testing was when Olympic cyclist Knud Enemark Jensen died of a heat stroke and resulting fall that caused a fractured skull in the process. To make matters worse, a coroner's report showed that he had ingested amphetamines. While this is what you would call a presumptive correlation, meaning that they can't prove that there was a direct link between that and his death, you do have to factor in everything else, including exhaustion paired with insane temperatures of around 104 degrees Fahrenheit. But this instance was still horrific enough that, along with the other incidents of deaths outside of the Olympics, led to a call for regulation, which of course was paired with many years of calling for control on moral grounds and ideas about fairness. Here, I chatted to Luke Thomas from CBS and Showtime's Morning Combat, and who did a lengthy discussion on this topic with Joe Rogan, and here he talks about the significance of this failure in history.
3: That is where everything begins to kick off. Regulation around cycling happens right around that time, again, in a very basic way, right? Like the modern mm-hmm. architecture of anti-depidus and start till in the 90s, the creation of WADA. So before that, it was very much not in the way which we understand it now, but- it all it all starts from that it all begins with that
0: and it's worth noting that while the idea of peds were controversial for plenty of human history some ancient athletes even getting the death penalty supposedly for it for much of human history this wasn't a moral issue for people at all it was seen a bit more like when you do watch a musical act live a ton of people out there would definitely argue getting high actively helps musicians perform Dude,
3: rock and roll party do cocaine yeah
0: or in an academic setting with beta blockers or Adderall assists are all there too. Not to mention the corporate world, which in those high stakes jobs, they regularly cramp many other substances, legal and otherwise. How the fuck else would you do this job? Cocaine
1: and hookers, my friend.
0: Even though plenty of money and stakes are on the line in those instances too. Sports are not unique in that way at all. But as we know it to be the case today, the opinion on this subject matter rapidly shifted especially with the proliferation of anabolics. And a lot of that ended up developing, as scholars have pointed out, when the Iron Curtain was still dividing Germany from the West. The Berlin Wall meant a very obvious and physical barrier between not just people, but some incredibly overt drug practices around the sport. Being under Soviet rule back then, it's probably one of the most obvious examples of a divide back then. There's a really great book written by Paul DeMeo of Scotland and Werner Muller out of Canada called The Anti-Doping Crisis in Sport. And a passage from their book gives us a great window into history. It says the following In the 1970s, East Germany had sports academies to train young athletes, elite coaches using new technologies, and doctors controlling the use of anabolic steroid oral terenibal as a supplemental aid to performance. And certainly, this kind of research began way before the 70s, but it does show how far it already had spread and progressed and the level of usage for athletes in that region at the time. We're talking literal programs and research built around this kind of technological doping with official support from the government. But Americans had known about this sort of technology for much longer. A man by the name of John Bosley Ziegler was a doctor who had befriended some competitive weightlifters from the historic York Barbell Club in Pennsylvania, and having an interest in the subject matter himself, he began aiding and advising the group's training regimen. So when his team went to an international competition called the World Weightlifting Championships, in 1954 in Vienna, Austria, he very quickly witnessed a stark contrast strangely between essentially everyone And the Russians. There's a great article from Justin Peters for Slate.com called Quote The Man Behind the Juice, where Ziegler described Russians as quote, suspiciously hairy and outsized. So while he was there in Vienna, he managed to get the Russian team doctor drunk at a local tavern, and that was when he revealed the difference was in fact not natural, but the result of exogenous testosterone. Exogenous, of course, meaning it was not naturally produced by the body, but instead externally taken. But of course, he wasn't about to be given any tips for free on how to harness this massively boosting substance, so he was left to just figure this out on his own, so he tried to plainly give his guys direct and low-dose shots of testosterone when he got back to the States. It did work to a degree, but there were way too many side effects. And so he got to work on his own testosterone-mimicking formula to maximize the benefits. Along with Siba Pharmaceuticals, he revealed, get ready for it, methandrostenolone what they thankfully branded with a much shorter name as Diana Ball or D-Ball as many know it. And here it made a ton of sense to chat with Derek from an immensely popular YouTube channel called More Plates, More Dates, whose popularity has essentially grown out of his knowledge for the subject from a very unique perspective. How unique? Well, he's actually used the stuff.
2: Can you still hear me with the good quality audio? I think we should be to go. When it comes to D-ball dosages, in general, you know, personally, I was using, you know, 20, 30, upwards of 50 milligrams at the most was the the most I ever used per day. Decades ago, when this stuff was used more so for performance enhancement in sport, it kind of varied in terms of how they would deploy it. Like, oftentimes, it depends on what sport we're talking about, how rigorous the drug testing was, or if it even existed at the time. But I've seen dosages as high as A couple hundred milligrams a day and as low as you know therapeutic replacement of five milligrams a day is what it was i believe originally prescribed in like 2.5 to 5 milligram increments for it was like oral trt at the time when it was created and it was marketed as such
0: and it's important to note that dianabol was actually made for literal burn victims and the elderly to regain tone and really just overall recovery in an official capacity
2: new Dianabol converts protein to working weight in wasting or debilitated patient. she puts on 13 and a quarter needed pounds in just six weeks and it's just funny how they really like highlight the benefits of the stuff to try and sell you on taking anabolic steroids and how much the perception on, you know, what it could be used in a therapeutic setting for has changed so much throughout the years. Like this would be seen as like horrific now. But Ziegler quickly began giving this to his friends at the York
0: Barbell Club, and it worked really fucking well. In fact, too well because as this Slate article goes on to mention, Ziegler became horrified with the insane amounts of dianabol people started ingesting. He would try to deter people from using so much, but nobody cared. And what he found was that these men were developing awful things like massively enlarged prostates, atrophied or literally shrunken testicles. And so Ziegler bluntly said this, what is it with these simple-minded shits? I'm the doctor. Dr. Ziegler would pass away due to heart failure in 1983, which, by the way, he blamed on his own steroid experimentation and lamented ever-developing dianabol. And of course, I can't cover every single thing that's happened throughout time, but these are the makings of what led to some of the most infamous scandals in American history.
1: It is necessary to wage
3: a new all-out offensive.
0: Meanwhile, there was a current that was changing in American law, the Marijuana Tax Act in the 1930s, the Boggs Act in the 50s, which significantly raised the penalties for recreational drug use, the 1960s, which have been romanticized over the years for the free love ideals that came out of it, and of course, drug use. And President Nixon established the war on drugs and what he deems, America's public enemy number one
1: in the United States is drug abuse.
0: So you might be asking yourself, what the hell do pharmaceutical-grade performance-enhancing drugs have to do with recreational drugs? Well, considering they're, of course, both drugs, often used illicitly, it wasn't long before PDs became a part of that same war. And while neither anabolics nor human growth hormone or anything of that ilk were initially part of this push for Nixon when Ronald Reagan resumed the war in the 80s, this would eventually become an issue that was also included in the sweeping drug laws
1: well today it gives me great pleasure to sign legislation that reflects the total commitment of the american people and their government to fight the evil of drugs
3: i just want to shake some sense into you kids that i use in drugs and think about using. so remember don't
0: or else and by this point, evidence was mounting over the years that something wasn't quite right with the sporting world. You began to see incredible physiques, things that were previously definitely not being achieved. What was the cause? Well, in 1977, the American College of Sports Medicine, believe it or not, said, no, they didn't believe steroids were actually effective for building muscle. No doubt a pretty famous blunder they'd have to recant in following years in 1987. But proclamations like this gave steroids time to builds with a lot less. Scrutiny. Meanwhile, the Olympics were already screening for them since the 1976 Games and added them to the band list a year prior. But for a time outside of that once every four years occasion, it really wasn't much of a thing to bat an eye at for most competitions. And the tests weren't exactly very effective either. But still, resistance was growing. And even though steroids were something you could simply get from your doctor in the 1980s, it's still not like you could just smuggle pharmaceutical drugs over international borders and just sell them for cheap without any vetting process, no types of quality, regulation, blah blah blah. But of course, it turns out this was being done in massive quantities during the time from the then-Soviet ruled eastern Bloc, and additionally mexico and being transported to north america so much in fact that in 1982 the fda launched a sweeping investigation uncovering a massive 100 million dollar plus underground and intricate illegal anabolic steroid market and it was so widespread that most users could simply walk into their local gym find a dealer or even through openly advertised mail orders inside catalogs to get their fix and not long after reagan's 1986 anti abuse bill, which further launched the war on drugs into the stratosphere, a seismic scandal was about to be uncovered. In May of the following year, a federal indictment came down with the largest anabolic steroid drug bust in history. A total of 36 people were involved, and the three co founders were included in an unconventional sounding trio theater arts major Dan Duquesne, an aerospace engineer william Dillon, a scottish silver medalist from the 1972 munich summer olympics david jenkins and said so the amount that they were busted for in this illegal operation 70 million dollars adjusted for inflation that would be about 186 million so just as the just say no to drugs campaign was reaching a fever
1: pitch don't be afraid to say no just say no just say no, just say
0: no. Reagan's administration said enough was enough. The next major bill would be introduced the following year in August of 1988, thrusting the steroid issue to the top of public consciousness, just a mere month before perhaps the most infamous single PED scandal in all of sports history. Sprinting has had its stars over the years, but before all that was one man, Carl Lewis. Here comes Lewis on the outside.
3: And Lewis comes, and the king of the world's a
0: magnificent Carl Lewis. A perfect American poster boy, an incredibly top-tier athlete with a great smile, excellent media training, and plenty of awards to his name. The race he's most known for, the 100-meter dash. Coming out of the 1984 Olympics in L.A., he was riding high on top of the whole world as an Olympic gold medalist in the 100-meter dash, 200-meter, and the four-man relay race, and the long jump. Plenty of other championships outside of the Olympics to his name as well. He was just a superstar at the time. But a rival to the north was staking his own claim Johnson for supremacy.
3: with the dynamite truck Here comes Ben Johnson. It's going to be Johnson and McRae
1: Witherspoon leaning in at third. <laughs> all the way over the end there, he was going fast.
0: And for some time, the Canadian had been riding on the heels of Carl Lewis, as the two would vie for the top spot on the world's biggest stage. And while some would raise suspicions as to Johnson's rise and how it happened so quickly, many ignored these claims outright. So did Carl Lewis for a time, at least publicly.
1: As Carl Lewis, he finished second, but equally the old world record at 9.93, but Ben Johnson, clock now officially 9.83, a ten of the world
0: record. Well, uh, the race will come. He won today. He was the best today. He ran a great race, and um, he deserved the to win today. He ran the time. But as Ben Johnson began to surge ahead, Lewis began to grow more vocal. People are on drugs, and they are in competitions on drugs, and they're not getting caught. And everyone says, "Oh, he says all these gold medalists in Rome were on were on drugs." They were. So by October of 1988, the 100-meter dash became one of the biggest worldwide sports fixations as the Olympic Games descended upon Seoul, Korea. At the end of the day, it was all about a rivalry between these two men. 979. To give context, since these world records have been tracked going back to 1912, it was initially established at 10.6 seconds for the world record. So that means in 76 years, we are talking less than a second's worth of world record progression. And in 1988, when this happened, 9.79 was a gigantic leap from Calvin Smith in 1983 of 9.93. We're talking essentially no progression outside of Ben Johnson, Worldwide on this record in five years. There was another record set in between that time with Ben Johnson in Rome a year prior at 9.83, but the point is, he was the only one making these huge leaps in race times. And that is when the sky fell.
1: Unfortunately, bad news travels even faster than good news, and chances are you know exactly what happened today. Ben Johnson has been stripped. He's stripped to the gold medal. Disqualification of his competitor from the Games of the 24th Olympiad. You can hardly see the darn little thing. The little pink belt. That is a steroid. That's what his brand is. Winstraw. This is what Ben Johnson was taking.
0: Stanozolol. It's an anabolic steroid. The time of this could not have been any crazier. The war on drugs resuming in the 1980s with more intensity and vigor under Ronald Reagan, the massive FDA anabolic steroid bust in 1987, only a year before and awaiting approval was Reagan's next major drug bill, the Anti-Drug Abuse Act of 1988. As I mentioned, it was introduced just before the Ben Johnson scandal and would pass just one month later following the Ben Johnson scandal. Needless to say, this totally destroyed Johnson's career in a single instant. Huge inquiries were carried out, not just for sprinting, but the scandal made anabolic steroids an international crisis that suddenly no one could ignore.
2: I can't think back further to a more impactful moment in time that resulted in, like, the stigmatization of steroids. As far as I know, that was the catalyst that actually kind of just shut down the development of these compounds. Like, we have bodybuilders and athletes of all sports utilizing a lot of the same drugs that were developed in, like, the 70s and 80s like, it's brutal it's just really impossible
3: to understand anti-doping without the war on drugs i don't think you can they are intricately linked the arguments that one uses for one um they're not always the same but they are highly overlapping um they have origins at the exact same time with the exact same kind of pressure from the u.s government and then sort of international competition more generally you know anti-doping folks want to like suggest that they're not they want to say that they're distinct and of course they are not identical but um, that they share historical origins that they share uh, intellectual underpinnings like this is not really up for debate
0: the irony of this though is that ben johnson was not the only one to get caught with peds that participate in the race
2: They were just at different times. People were under the assumption that he must be the only one using stuff because he's the one who won, he shouldn't have won otherwise. It's this, you know, how do we stop this cheating? It's going to ruin our sport if we don't take care of it.
3: I did the testing and I reported the results to the USOC. That's when I learned that it was Carl Lewis. Lewis had tested positive at the US Olympic trials for three illegal stimulants. Lewis was exonerated by the USOC, who concluded that he had produced an inadvertent positive. Everybody will say they're inadvertent, so everybody gets away with it. You, you expect it to be acted on, otherwise why bother?
1: Linford Christie tested positive for the anabolic drug Nandrolone. Sprinter Dennis Mitchell is also suspended after he was shown to have too much testosterone in his system. Ray Stewart was embroiled in an investigation into the sale and distribution of drugs. It's crazy that this never got
0: the same level of coverage, and you certainly didn't hear about Carl Luce's verbal warning before that. But while the Olympics in the IOC began to crack down more heavily on this rampant issue, the major American sports, well, they had a sleeping giant. A colossus on their hands 20 30 years ago if you had 30 home runs you were God right right yeah you hit 30 home runs you're looking for a job
3: Cincinnati Reds have not allowed a McGuire home run in 1998 Like this. How about 482 feet? Get out of town. Number 54 for Sammy. The longest at Coors Field this year. In
0: 1990, another massive blow to the steroid market came down when anabolics were made a Schedule Three substance, totally illegal. In 1991, Major League Baseball's then-commissioner added lip service to the idea of banning anabolic steroids, saying that they were indeed forbidden, of course per the law, but his memo also casually just stated that they weren't going to test for it at all. But if you were caught red-handed actually possessing it, well, you were in trouble, mister.
3: Your ass is on the line, mister!
0: So effectively, you could say it was a don't ask, don't tell MLB policy on anabolics. As Sean Asale wrote for ESPN in his fantastic breakdown of the timeline on baseball's nearly open allowance of PDs during this time, this 1991 memo was pretty much completely ignored by the entire league. But let's rewind a little bit. During the 1980s, baseball certainly began to see its surge of steroids. Thomas Boswell, who wrote for the Washington Post, had gone as far as to call Jose Canseco, quote, the most conspicuous example of a player who has made himself great with steroids. And before the 90s even hit, it was openly flagrant what was happening behind the scenes to many. Meanwhile, a vocal detractor of then MLB commissioner Faye Vincent was the president of the Milwaukee Brewers, Bud Selig, who began to urge a. Change in direction for the league it was pretty much down to his handling of recent league strikes and tv deal blunders among a bunch of other things and essentially the league pushed fay vincent out with a no confidence vote of 18 to 9 and he would resign so in 1992 the league had a new interim commissioner bud selig Yep, he'd taken the position that he pretty much campaigned for, and this was the man that presided over perhaps the most tumultuous period in all of American League sports history. When he took over, though, there was far more than performance-enhancing drugs to work out. There were lockouts just two years prior with more strikes to follow, dwindling TV ratings, a very powerful players' union representing all the athletes, and plenty of unhappy team owners to negotiate with. And as these tensions mounted between the league and its players' union, a huge strike took place. Well, it is now official. No more regular season, no extended version of the playoffs, and for the first time since 1904, no World Series. Bud Selig supposedly won to push the issue particularly for testing steroids but the league was drowning in its own heated arguments and pay and basic terms to such a degree that when the 1995 strikes came to an end selig simply decided it would be best to leave the issue of steroid testing entirely off the table in an effort to just get on and get the league functioning the way it was
1: clearly they are not capable of settling this strike without an umpire. The only way to do this appears to be for Congress to step up to the plate and pass the legislation. Unless they do, we may not have baseball in 1995.
0: And of course, meanwhile, during all that time off, this made the PD problem worse because players were just training and getting way more bulked up than ever, according to a lot of reports. However, during this stage, sectors of the public were either blissfully unaware or willfully ignoring the issue during the summer of 1998, and after a fateful game, the star home run hitter, the St. Louis Cardinals, Mark McGuire, held a press scrum in his clubhouse. That was when a reporter noticed something odd. A pill bottle above his locker that had a really long pharmaceutical name that he'd never seen before. Androstenedione. Despite this drug, Andro for short, which was well known as a precursor to testosterone and considered an anabolic steroid, was even banned by other leagues like the NFL and additionally, in the Olympics. I mean, 1996 gold medalist Randy Barnes had a literal lifetime ban for shot-putting of all sports. Also, the entire collegiate NCAA system banned it as well. And baseball, well, they just pretty much ignored Andrew's prevalence. And McGuire himself just brushed it off and nonchalantly said, yeah, everybody uses it when he was asked about it. In fact, the article written by that reporter Steve Wilstein from the Associated Press was pretty much lambasted upon release. He was called a snooper by Mark McGuire and many just believed he was being too nosy for his own good, while others said he was invading personal privacy. But it undeniably began to bring this issue to light whether people wanted to acknowledge that or not. And the league knew about this growing problem too. There were plenty of reports about the commissioner Bud Selig asking experts what he should do. As I mentioned, he wanted to raise the issue during the strikes a couple years before him at this point, but he didn't feel he could convince the Players Association So one of the things he tried to do is re-release a memo in 1997 affirming that steroids were indeed not permitted, but He didn't have the power to enforce, and yeah, by this point, they still weren't testing for it, so again, it got ignored. The only problem was there was essentially no chance of convincing the Players Association of doing that at the time. And so with that, the incredible home run boom continued as Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa saw records achieved in 1998, while players like Barry Bonds and Jason Giambi were on the verge of their best years. Nothing was happening despite how obvious the whole epidemic was starting to become but there's no way this was going to last forever.
3: What I'm here to tell you right now is that not only is there no Santa Claus, but there's no Easter Bunny or Tooth Fairy either in the world of sport.
1: Today, baseball stars Jason Giambi and Barry Bonds are part of this sensational story. Their home run hitting apparently was not all natural talent, but talent plus steroids. How do you feel about steroids?
0: I don't think we're here to discuss those matters i think we have a great policy in this game of baseball and we should just leave it at
2: that i broke what's called the balco steroid scandal in san francisco a conspiracy to corrupt sports at the elite level by distributing
3: undetectable steroids did i feel that i was doing something different than other athletes and coaches and trainers had done for throughout the entire history of the olympic sport the answer is no
0: In a scandalous performance-enhancing drug bust that single-handedly took down the so-called steroid era in baseball and nearly took out several other sports with it, Victor Conte and his clinic, the Bay Area Laboratory Cooperative, or BALCO for short, had been part of a U.S. federal investigation beginning in 2002 and resulting in a raid of his offices in 2003. It turned out to be an anonymous submitted syringe who was later revealed to be Trevor Graham from the coach of a Olympic gold medalist Marion Jones, and you'll notice there's a bit of a theme with a lot of the scandals I'll talk about today. These people weren't found, they weren't discovered by investigatory bodies, they were ratted out. But essentially, Victor Conte and chemist Patrick Arnold developed a new, then undetectable anabolic steroid called the CLEAR, or tetrahydrostinrone. No, strinone. Tetrahydrostinrone. Dude, tetrahydrostrenone anyhow that was its official name but people thankfully know it as the clear and he began developing a regimented program with it as well as a cocktail of several other peds what did you give him the
3: substance called the clear epo growth hormone and insulin
0: so as you can tell, this not only included some of baseball's top athletes of all time, really, but as I mentioned, the Olympic gold medal runner, Marion Jones, and additionally, Bill Romanowski. And these were just the names that were announced as part of the investigation. Victor Conte had way more clients that raised suspicions over the years. For instance, part of his client base was literally the whole 1992 to 1994 NBA team, the Seattle Supersonics. Of course, you can't go pointing fingers and assume that he helped all this clients in this specific way with banned substances, but it's not hard to think of relationships like this with Conte as being at least questionable at best, and there are no doubt many clients will just never know about that he had. Then you tack on to baseball's woes, the tell book from Jose Canseco alleging use by megastars like Mark McGuire, Rafael Palmero, who would later admit to what he was saying, but famously they would deny it at first through congressional hearings.
3: In addition to Andro, which was legal at the time that you used it, what other supplements did you use? I'm not here to talk about the past.
1: My name is Rafael Palmero and I am a professional baseball player. I have never used steroids,
0: period. And again, following the Mitchell Report in 2007, which named new athletes like Roger Clemens and reaffirmed many of the prior cues.
1: I don't get the benefit of the doubt. The stuff that's being said is ridiculous. It's hogwash for people to even assume this. 24, 25 years, Mike, you'd think I'd get an inch of respect. How, how can you prove your innocence? After being acquitted on all charges, Roger Clemens thanked his supporters. And
0: speaking of congressional hearings, it's been asked over and over throughout the years why Congress would ever care so much about recreational sports enough to require so many legends and officials to come forward. So let's just hear it in their own words. primary
1: goal in this inquiry is to break the vicious cycle of growing steroid use that begins at the professional level and inevitably, it seems, trickles down to college and high school sports. can help break that cycle and convince the 500,000 high school students using steroids today that they're making a big mistake. Stop steroid use by, by uh, sports figures and, more importantly, the children who emulate them. As
0: much as 8% of male athletes, according to the Mitchell Report, in high school. And this is something that Derek from More Plates, More Dates can attest to himself anecdotally.
2: Probably around 16, 17 years old, I became aware of guys in my high school that were blowing up out of nowhere. Very vividly recall like one guy who I was in quite a few of classes with and he was benching like, I don't know. Like 185 for 10. And then within a handful of months, he was at like 265 for reps. And I was just like, dude, like, what are you doing? And he told me at the time he was like, I don't know if you remember Size On. It was like a GNC soul, it was like a Gaspari nutrition, like creatine product, basically. And he told me he doubled his uh, okay. Size On dose from one scoop to two scoops. And he was doing like 100 pushups a day or something. And it was just like cranking his bench up, you know, 10 pounds a week, essentially. I was like damn that's the secret <laughs> and but I just saw a bunch of guys in my high school blowing up out of nowhere gaining you know upward 10 to 20 pounds in short order
0: Also, the fact that baseball pretty much did nothing for 20 years was a reason to get regulators involved. They very much felt that because they weren't doing anything, that someone should. But these reasons are no doubt debated. At least you'll have a better idea for why Congress got involved if you had that question in your mind before. And plenty of other things would happen over the years despite a more modern approach to policing PDs in baseball. Take, for instance, the most ridiculous example, Anthony Bosch's scandal with Alex Rodriguez, along with more than 10 other listed names, In 2013.
2: Alex Rodriguez, considered one
1: of the best baseball players of all time, was hit with the longest doping suspension in history. This, despite the fact that there is no positive drug test for Rodriguez. Tonight, you are going to hear details of the evidence for the first time, much of it from Anthony Bosch, who ran a secret doping practice for pro athletes.
2: What were the various banned substances that he was taking? Testosterone,
3: insulin growth factor, one, human growth hormone, and some different forms of peptides. It was almost a cakewalk, actually. A cakewalk. Yeah.
0: To beat the system. To beat the system. To To cheat. To cheat. But the reality was, is that the career of the highest paid baseball player in history effectively ended over a $4,000 debt between a cocaine-addicted fake doctor
3: (laughs) and his fake tan-addicted steroid patient. This is, by the way, not an exaggeration, even a little
0: bit. Some things you just can't make up. While Anthony Bosch would get about four years in federal prison for his role in the biogenesis scandal, his predecessor, Victor Conte, merely got four months. And speaking of players who use PEDs and were ratted out... Listen,
2: I've said it for seven years. I've said it for longer than seven years. I have never doped.
1: I've never taken performance enhancing drugs. How clear is that? When I decided to come back
2: for what I think is a very noble reason, you said, folks, the cancer has been in remission for four years, but our cancer has now returned, meaning me. You are not worth the chair that you're sitting on with a statement like that.
1: The global governing body of cycling has just announced moments ago it will ban Armstrong for life and strip him of his seven tour titles. Tonight, Lance Armstrong confessed to one of the greatest lies and deepest cover-ups in all of sports. Yes, did you
3: ever take banned substances to enhance your cycling performance? Yes. Was one of those banned substances
1: EPO? Yes. Armstrong was doping the very first time he won the tour. One of the drugs... Was called EPO, which boosts production of red blood cells to enhance endurance. The way they got him, this is what nobody understood. He never failed a drug test. It
0: was his teammates who had turned on as part of the federal investigation. And as I mentioned earlier, there are cases like Canoe Jensen, which was way before Lance Armstrong and EPO were a well-known issue in the nineties. It really details how widespread the issues were well before Lance became known and became synonymous with EPO. And this certainly made it a far more worldwide issue as well considering the Tour de France is well in France and therefore looped in a lot of Europe now. And someone you guys might know as returning viewers from my previous video about hydration testing is Tom Coughlin, who works specifically in sports medicine and athletes around these issues. But as I said, Lance Armstrong took this onto a worldwide stage for PD usage, and that was what Tom anecdotally mentions here.
1: I think most people really started switching onto the prominence of PEDs when Lance Armstrong got not necessarily caught, but there was enough pressure on him to come out and say that he was using all these things. And that sort of stimulated, in recent memory anyway, quite a lot of the chat about PEDs.
0: And how this drug differs from the anabolics or HGHs out there is that it doesn't so much as affect muscle development or growth, but literally increases the amount of red blood cells in an athlete's system, which greatly increases their ability to push their endurance
3: that every single cyclist, at least from 1991 till 2011, was on highly, highly, you know, augmented programs. But that's nothing compared to what people were doing just a few years before Lance came along.
2: I was teammates with Lance for four years. You know, doping had started long before Lance Armstrong got to the
0: pro ranks. You know, when I arrived in 1997, and that was when I first did my first Tour de France, and that's when I realized... You know, wow, it's everywhere. You know, they're handing out white lunch bags, to, you know, full of, you know, performance enhancing drugs to guys. You know, at the race, they were bringing it to the race. You know, that's how open it was. You know, it was like nothing. No, no, one, no one was stressing about it. And these days, you can still blood dope, you can still microdose with
2: EPO. Do you think that's- They're all doping.
3: Every single one of them. It's really easy to beat,
0: very easy. But moving our attention onto what could perhaps be considered the two biggest sports in the United States. Yes, baseball has fallen off quite a bit in terms of popularity in recent generations, according to a lot of sources. Sorry to my good friend Mac for saying that. You feeling good? (laughs) But the word scandal in this context is nearly absent for football and baseball. But why?
3: Oh, that's easy. Their union protects them. The CBAs that these organizations eventually sign have any number of protections related to how much they can be tested and when they can be tested and what gets revealed to the public
2: and what doesn't and what the punishments are it's all meted out the testing rigor is not reflected proportionally in all sports so it's like some sports get put under the microscope with much higher scrutiny than others you know ufc being one of the ones that it's like Especially with people fighting each other and like slamming their, you know, punching each other in the head, kicking each other, cetera gonna be higher certainty on a sport like that so what ends up happening is over time the fan base just becomes
3: conditioned to believe well i've never seen an nba drug scandal it must just be the case that they're not really using and then they move on and they don't really care whereas in these other sports will have this hyper anti-doping focus of course they find much more as a consequence and then the fan base goes oh my god this is this is a problem we simply cannot move forward without
2: some sports they don't think they have a problem in cycling you know if you go back 20 years, did they think there was a problem? Probably not.
0: And there are tons of interesting wrinkles to this one. For one, believe it or not, the 2019 most valuable player, Julian Edelman, who's got way more accolades than that, also in that same season of 2019, was suspended for just four games. Due to the internal regulations around the sport, we don't know exactly what he took, but many believe he, at the very least, used steroids to speed up recovery from a torn ACL the previous
1: year. I get the feeling that people look at this and go... I don't blame you for doing performance-enhancing drugs as a football player.
2: Do you think Eagle fans care that Lane Johnson, their mouthy offensive lineman, has been busted twice for PEDs? And they don't care.
1: Edelman has never started down any path in trying to explain this, and no one is asking him to do it. And I, I don't know, maybe people just don't care.
0: Lyle Azedo is probably the earliest known major case of steroid abuse in the NFL. And really American sports when you think about it, because he admitted openly to using them from 19 1969 onwards throughout his NFL career, which reached well into the 80s, and he even tried to attempt a return in 1990. But he also came forward with that information himself without ever being caught because he blamed steroids for his brain tumor, which he feels led to his death at just age 43. This is all a downstream effect though from the 1963 NFL scandal known as Steroid Gate. In 2005, Jim Haslett whose career as a player and as a coach reached a Hall of Fame level said that half of the locker room in the 80s were already using some form of PEDs. He of course admitted he was one of them. So you remember Remember that NFL linebacker I told you about earlier in the Bauco scandal, Bill Romanowski? I mean, what you're saying here is you did everything you could get away with.
3: You know, I compromised my morality.
0: Well, he earned four Super Bowl rings during his career, which were never stripped despite being part of the Balco scandal. And although he denies using anything prior to the twilight years of his career with Victor Conte, he's been accused by many players all throughout his career. Either way, he retired essentially on his own terms due to an accumulation of injuries and namely concussions. And he very much was up against a lot of disgrace. But it's also fair to say that it hasn't actually overshadowed his career for being a ruthless, hard-nosed player, regularly making TV appearances for that matter. Peyton Manning was one of the biggest stars in NFL history who has wide-ranging claims of him using HGH in 2011, even being accused by one of his own physicians. But this has been denied by the NFL and Manning, and most people just simply moved on.
3: I can tell you what they're going to find. uh, A big, fat nothing.
0: And with most like Edelman just getting a few game suspension up only around four to six games at max, the penalties are not nearly as stiff as other competitive sports like MMA or boxing, where it's tantamount to years of suspension or baseball, where there's substantially more time taken away from games. Where contact-heavy sports have an obvious danger factor associated with Beefed up, saucy aggressors actively trying to harm one another. Baseball, on the other hand, had at least the obvious home run records to track. And when it comes to basketball, it's fair to say a lot less people tend to care about someone putting a ball through a hoop and being juiced up.
2: There's also less potential benefit to be gained, arguably, in certain contexts. So with basketball, it's more like how do I injury proof somebody? How do I enhance oxygen carrying capacity, but less about how do I like, I don't know, gain a ton of muscle or something like that.
0: Here's a particularly compelling set of statements from the four-time NBA champ, John Sally.
3: What difference does it make if they use steroids? And they go, well, they're cheating. And I go, it doesn't make you hit the ball better. Right? He goes, well, it makes you stronger. It doesn't make you hit a curveball it does not make you hit a slider.
0: Fair point, John, but I'm reminded of this quote from Jose Canseco. 20, 30 years ago, if you hit 30 home runs, you were a god. Right. Right. Today you hit 30 home runs, you're looking for a job. And despite those attitudes towards PDs in the sport, George Carl, just a couple of years after he was named the NBA coach of the year, didn't hold back at all his thoughts on the issue for his book. He said, quote, we've got a more thorough drug testing program than the NFL or MLB, which we always brag about, but we've still got a drug issue though a different one than 30 years ago, and this one bothers me more than the dumbasses who got in trouble with recreational drugs. I'm talking about performance-enhancing drugs like steroids, human growth hormone, and so on. It's obvious some of our players are doping. How is it these guys are older yet thinner and fitter? How are they recovering from injuries so fast? Why the hell are they going to Germany in the offseason? I doubt it's for sauerkraut. John Sally also had a super interesting response to this.
3: Uh, You not to want science to do greatness. I always look at, I always talk about the body being like a Formula One car. If you can take the car apart, get better parts and better aerodynamics so your car is better. If you're not hurting anybody, you should do that.
0: And I think it's kind of unfair to point at certain figures and popular athletes, but they're competing for a lot longer at the highest levels, like that memo said. Either way, the question is, are athletes lasting longer in the NBA due merely to better health education than previous years? Are they simply understanding how to extend their longevity through better lifestyle choices? It's hard to say, and the list of names and failures in the sport is incredibly thin, no matter your feelings on the subject. And then some of the other sports we haven't talked about, like the leagues that pretty much just ignore this altogether. The bodybuilding world is beyond rife with it, and even those like Arnold Schwarzenegger have openly admitted to this, with the caveat that it was legal back then, of course. But the evidence for bodybuilding's usage and the other side of things with the weightlifting community, it's far more blatant than any other athletic competitions out there. And then there's the history of PD failures in combat sports. Of course, that's the sport that this channel is based on. And of course, because of the obvious violent nature of boxing and MMA, that's led to some pretty tight regulations in America. These two sports have probably gotten more attention than anything else consistently over the years. Baseball definitely had its heyday, as I mentioned earlier, therefore being a bigger spike in attention worldwide, but not as consistently over the years as combat sports have. And they certainly didn't have more attention on it before the steroid broke and it was pretty much ignored and certainly much less sense. In the UFC, however, the premier MMA league in the world, they literally partner with USADA, which is the US-based agency for Olympic level testing. And it's not once every four years like the Olympics are either. It's every day of the year with whereabouts tracking through their phones so that the USADA agents know where they are at all times.
3: Tim Kennedy did an interview talking about USADA. Last time I got tested, like a week ago, this guy came into my house and I would just gotten back from a workout, Kennedy said. He said he had to visually keep his eyes on me the whole time, so I was like, well, I'm taking a shower. I walked into my bathroom, took my clothes off, and he walked into the bathroom with me and watched me shower. In what other line of work Anywhere on the planet are independent contractors subject
0: to being watched naked in the shower. And of course, individual state commissions test those athletes as well. So it definitely doesn't stop with USADA. Boxing, on the other hand, is much more independently tested due to stipulations between boxers and promoters. The athletes themselves have a bit more control over it, but all are subject to state level testing regardless of those terms at a bare minimum. And of course, the untold millions due to these failed tests and subsequent marquee fight cancellations over the years has made this a far more salient issue throughout both sports. But this is a subject fans on this channel are much, much more familiar with. So naturally, I'm not going to harp on these as much as other sports. So to this point, I can't really mention every single sport like MLS or hockey and dive deep into plenty others and something like pro wrestling, which absolutely deserves a mention considering what happened in the early Nineties with the then-WWF and incredibly infamous incidents moving forward. But for these and other athletic endeavors, if I included them all, this would be a literal three-hour documentary, so I'm just going to have to limit this a bit. But this all leads us to the inevitable question. Is testing working? Luke Thomas for sure is not one to hold back his opinions on the matter. Does anyone
3: think that sport is meaningfully cleaner? Does anyone really believe that? Does anyone really believe that the state of worldwide sport that we're in today is meaningfully less drug addled? I think that is just profoundly naive. What I'm simply asking people to do is look around and just survey the obvious. Drugs are here. You're not going to beat them. It comes from this attitude from 19th century British aristocracy about the purpose of sport its its value in building character who should be engaging in those activities and what the events around it should mean
0: and i think what it really comes down to though is why this type of usage persists. we know why the athletes want to get a competitive edge of course but why aren't they getting caught
2: the synthetic ones that aren't supposed to be present in any quantity whatsoever because your body doesn't naturally produce it like you're balls don't shoot out D ball so it's pretty easy to see if there's like micro quantities of it in your urine like okay that's not supposed to be there but with testosterone it gets really finicky cuz it's like oh well this guy could be an outlier it's supposed to be there so if you find a significant amount of testosterone even above threshold values, like there still needs to be more nuance and dissection that goes into establishing, is this guy cheating or not?
0: We've mentioned a few PDs without going into too much detail here, but one that really presents a particularly interesting problem is HGH. Although originally developed for things like literally helping those with stunted growth in adolescence reach more normative height levels, it's done wonders for athletes and is incredibly hard to catch.
2: It's so difficult to detect because it is, again, similar to testosterone supposed to be there so your pituitary produces a certain amount of gh and the detection times of it are so short it's essentially i wouldn't say impossible but it's like if you look at the history of hgh testing it took like over a thousand tests before they even had one positive like the actual detection time is in and out in a very short period of time it's like a 20 to 30 minute half life or clearance time
0: yeah 30 minute clearance time that'll do it
2: I would say the main utility of it, oftentimes people think HGH and they think, oh, big muscular bodybuilder physique, on its own, in solitude, it is actually not very anabolic, if at all. However, what it is very good at is enhancing the infrastructure of a human, like reinforcing um connective tissue integrity and enhancing it and increasing collagen synthesis and increasing bone integrity bone strength stuff that is going to be very helpful in a MMA context especially like trying to not get injured stave off injury recover faster um these are all things that are quite beneficial
0: and Tom Coughlin, with his accredited background, also had plenty to share about the difficulties with HGH.
1: The, the initial study from 2007, so they gave them GH for 28 days. So males a low dose. Um, it was 60% at day 28. So after one month of using GH continuously, 40% would pass a doping test, even if they're continually taking it. But where it really gets interesting is looking at the female data. So 21 days of full use uh, of GH albeit on a low dose no people tested positive (laughs) it's ridiculous that this test is still being used today Uh, you know it is better than nothing but There's almost no point.
0: And this is essentially just focusing on one particular performance enhancer. As Victor Conte showed with the Baco scandal or EPO with the microdosing techniques with Lance Armstrong that were never caught. Almost none of this stuff I've talked about was, by the way. New methods are undetectable and are always continually being created. But getting to the heart of the issue of testing is so ineffective. Why do we continue to do it? What's the point? And we've barely touched on the health defects of this. I did try to set up an interview with the anabolic doc in preparation of this video because he specializes in moving people away from these drugs, which we were unfortunately not able to set up a interview for due to problems on my side of the equation, but he's got plenty to say about these drugs and the problems with them.
1: They they come to see me and they tell me the truth with their wife, their children, their mothers, and there's a lot of tears because they have heart disease and kidney disease
3: and they have psychiatric disease, erectile, severe erectile dysfunction. How many guys
2: am, am I trying to get fertile? So there's all sorts of side effects.
0: And so All of this kind of reminds me of when I did the last weight cutting video. We had a lot of people that threw out simple solutions like trying to do weigh-ins right before they would fight, which would mean they would be fighting dehydrated, which is a terrible idea. That was one of the top comments. And people kind of beg solutions at the end of these things. And that's the difficulty of it. People have dedicated their entire lives to this subject matter. No one's going to figure it out during the 40 minutes of watching this video. And we're talking, you know, scholarly works. We're talking high levels of research and all the work that went into it. I'll say this while I encourage your suggestions and putting things out there. Just don't expect to be coming up with groundbreaking ideas that you have colloquially researching this subject or watching a video about it. Think about why it's been so hard to solve. And any idea you come up with has already been thought about, or maybe even already tried. It's going to take a whole lot more than that. And critical thinking is what we really should be encouraging about this subject matter. Yeah, it's a tough one to wrap up. Basically telling people to shut the fuck up. (laughs) It's a difficult one, like I said. It's a really difficult issue. But anyhow, I wanna thank you all for watching. I really appreciate everybody that got involved in this process. We got Derek from More Plates, More Dates, Luke Thomas, Tom Coughlin. You guys were all awesome. Definitely check out their channels. If you wanna hear more about this subject, they have plenty, they all three cover it. And then I also wanna thank the people that support these kind of videos. We have now started launching memberships on the channel where you can join just by clicking the link below that's what makes videos like this really worth it sometimes it gets the same amount of views as a normal video so when you guys support us through those channel memberships it really helps content like this thrive so please consider if you're interested in becoming a member and as part of your membership we like to give out exclusive content to members and one of those things that we're looking at doing is potentially releasing some of these interviews uncut so that you see the whole context and everything that we talked about so if you're interested in that sort of thing and you want to see some of that content yeah consider joining that's it